0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Knights of the Pageless Library. This is an audiobook discussion podcast. I am Ryan Knight, and I will be your host for this episode. It's going to be a discussion with myself, unfortunately. So if you want to get in on the discussion, please feel free to email us, kotpl.pod at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, you know, all the usual spots, the usual suspects. So please feel free to reach out to us with any and all questions, concerns, comments, whatever you feel like. So with that, I'm going to be taking a look at The Inn, written by James Patterson and Candace Fox, and narrated by Eduardo Ballerini. I listened to this book through Audible, in case you were curious, but if you have any other places you like to listen to books from, please feel free to send those my way, and I would love to check them out. A couple of quick ones I do know about that you could check out for yourself if you'd like is LibriVox.org. They have over 18,000 free audiobooks that are all in the public domain which means they are non-copyrighted material as far as i understand they are all recorded by volunteers so you know the audio quality may not be as high as something on audible but nonetheless it's all free content and there are tons of titles tons of great things you could listen to over there and you can also go to audiobooks.com and you can pick and choose from, according to them, over 400,000 titles, which is a lot. They have a similar kind of monthly subscription credit system to Audible, and then you can also sign up for a VIP program in which you can get, they'll give you a choice of a set amount of books, and you can pick one for free from that curated list. So that's all well and good, and those are just a couple places you can listen to audiobooks other than Audible if you should choose to. Uh, neither one of those is sponsored, just so you know, I'm just kind of throwing that out there so that you guys have a couple options. My only request would be is that you do the best you can to support the authors, narrators, and the producers of this stuff, you know, please don't, please don't pirate it, please don't steal the stuff, you know, that's just, it's just bad manners. Alright, so The Inn came out in 2019, and the audiobook recording that I'm listening to also came out in 2019. And again, so we got a couple authors here, right? Got James Patterson, and we got Candace Fox. Now, the two of them have worked together on a couple different titles, just doing a quick search. They have written together before. Um, I believe that James Patterson really needs no introduction. If you've listened to anything that is considered, you know, sci-fi, or excuse me, not (laughs) sci-fi. If you've listened to anything that's considered mystery, thriller, or suspense in the last, I don't know, 25 years. I'm sure you've heard this man's name. He's an extremely prolific writer, and he pretty much dominates the genre when it comes to, you know, mystery thriller and suspense. Tons of titles, tons of series that he has done. He has his hands in a lot of books. Most of the books that he's written that I've come across, he writes with somebody else. So take that for what you will. I'm not sure how I feel about it. I'm going to get into that about this book here in a minute. Candace Fox, on the other hand, I had never really heard her name. Again, she's written with James Patterson in the past, so that's good for her, great for her, actually, that she's able to get her name on something that also has his name on it. Um, And she also, it looks like, writes a lot of this kind of mystery and kind of detective stories and thriller stories like that, so I don't know a whole lot else about her other than from this book. Now, how did I feel about Eduardo Ballerini in this book? I thought he did okay, if I'm being honest. Um, A lot of my gripes are not necessarily his fault. Um, I, (laughs) and I apologize if I'm going to offend anybody here, but I don't really like uh, Boston accents, especially Boston accents that sound considerably forced. And unfortunately, the main character in this book is from Boston, so he has a Boston accent that I believe Edardo did his best to attempt. I just don't think there's a good way to do a Boston accent personally. It always just feels kind of like a joke, like you're making a joke about somebody who has a Boston accent unless you are a native Boston speaker. Obviously, then it's authentic, and I don't have a problem with it. But I just think it's one of those accents that when somebody tries to imitate it or do anything else with it, I just, I think it's a hard one. And I, unfortunately, it's what the book is full of. So again, not Eduardo's fault, just a complaint I have more of a personal complaint than really his fault. There's a lot of characters in this book, a lot of male, female characters, a lot of characters of different races and ethnicities and backgrounds. And I think he does a good job with the mixed bag. Um, at a certain point, though, a lot of his voices kind of start to sound the same, if I'm being honest. You know, for instance, if he's doing a, a Black guy, all of his Black guys start to sound the same, and it just kind of feels like this... it's not his fault, like I said, you know, there's only so many different ways you can throw your voice, but I just feel like they all started to blend together to a point where, if the story doesn't specifically tell you who was talking in a conversation, you might think it was all the same person because they sound the same. Again, I know that Edardo is a very prolific narrator. He has almost 500 titles to his name on Audible. And I also listened to him in the book Wool, which is part of the Silo series, which I will hopefully be talking about at some point. And I thought he does a fantastic job in that book. So I'm not sure what changed between The Inn and Wool, but I liked him much more in Wool. And I do think that he is a great narrator I just, I had issues with the book, and I think those issues kind of bled over into his performance, unfortunately. Don't hold anything against him, though, um, and I'll get into that in a little bit as to what what I think overall. So just some quick snippets about this book. So what is this book about? This book is about a kind of... So Bill Robinson, this disgraced Boston cop, ends up running this inn in Gloucestershire, Massachusetts. Um, it was his late wife dream to run this uh bed and breakfast type of setup near the ocean due to some circumstances uh bill is running the place by himself and the inn is full of very kind of eclectic guests from all walks of life and from all sorts of different backgrounds who end up needing to kind of come together in the end to defeat a common enemy if you will and that enemy is in the form of a drug dealer who has moved into their small town and is peddling this, these drugs. I'm going to call them new. Um, it's fentanyl, which I think was new in 2019 or newer. I'm sure most people have heard of it these days, unfortunately. Uh, but it's it's about this group of people kind of coming together to take this guy down. Uh, I'm, I'm going to save my... I'm going to try to reserve any kind of spoilers or things like that for after I pass the spoiler wall obviously. Uh, this book's pretty short. It's only 7 hours and 20 minutes. And I think that's, unfortunately I think that's a downfall of it. I think this book needed a little bit more room to breathe in my opinion. And I'll tell you about that more also after I pass the spoiler wall. Um, is this book easy to follow? Yeah, it's, it's pretty easy. There's a couple of parts that are a little bit confusing. Um, they're told a little bit quickly and they jump around just a little bit. So there are parts that are a little bit confusing, but overall the story is pretty simple, pretty easy to follow. Uh, Is it easy listening? Yes and no. Again, like I said, uh, Eduardo's performance is good, but it's just not great to me, I guess. And the issues I have with the book, like I said, I think bleed over into his performance, unfortunately. Um, So what's my overall recommendation? Because that's probably what you're here for, right? My overall recommendation is that you could skip this one, honestly. Unfortunately, the biggest defining feature in this book, in my opinion, is the bad guy. Klein, who is the drug dealer, the lead kind of drug dealer, is, I think, the best part of this book. He is psychotic. He's genuinely scary as a bad guy written in this story. He's, like, I got genuine kind of fear picturing this guy the way he acts in this book. I'd be curious to know if there was a very strong delineation between who wrote what parts of the book. It's pretty kind of clear-cut differences between the parts that are talking about Klein and his guys and the parts that are talking about Bill and his people in the inn. I'd be really curious to know where the delineation was in the work. You know, if one author wrote all of, you know, the parts for Klein and one author wrote all of the parts for the inn and those people, I'd be interested to know that if anybody knows that information. Um, the only other character I do like a lot is Nick, which is Bill's kind of best friend in the inn. He is a ex-army and he is suffering From, you know, PTSD and some things like that. But he is a badass. And he helps Nick out a lot through the story. And he is a good character. He's cool. He's funny. He's... I like him as a character. And I unfortunately wish I got more of him in the story. The really unfortunate part is kind of very mm, detrimental things happen uh, later on in the story to him. As far as a diagnosis and things like that but there's not enough room in the story for it to be expanded on. It's just kind of there, and it just kind of gets thrown in towards the end and is just kind of left at that, unfortunately. So those are a couple unfortunate things I have to say about this book. Again, I think you could go ahead and skip this book. I don't think you're missing out on a ton here, unfortunately. So I'm just going to leave it at that. Thumbs down from me, so take that for what you will. Uh, If you have anything to say about this book, please feel free to share those comments with me. I would love to hear what you thought about this one. And with that, I'm going to go ahead and pass the spoiler wall. I'll talk about the story in full. Uh, Probably not in a ton of detail, but I'll just go through what I can remember and how I felt about the whole thing overall. So right off the bat here, one of the biggest problems I had with the story is that uh, we open up with a... playing the pronoun game. So we open up on an event with Bill while he's still in the Boston PD as a cop. And the story, when it's told from Bill's perspective, is all from first person. So it is Bill speaking directly to us. And we get this snippet of, you know, Bill's been a cop in Boston for a long time. He likes it. He's he's good at it. You know, he's a great cop. Him and his partner Malone. And in the beginning of the book, Malone and Bill are taken into the commissioner's office and they are dismissed because of something. And thats I have a huge problem with that. This something that they did is honestly left hanging until about the last hour of the book. And it's brought up multiple times, you know, Bill saying that he was disgraced and dismissed from the police force. But it's not explained why until way later on. And honestly, it's not even... (laughs) It's not as bad as I thought it was going to be, to be honest. Um, I'll get to that a little bit later when it comes up. We get a quick snippet of Klein. And so everything when it's told from Klein's perspective is told from the third person. So the narrator is explaining the scene to us. Um, We get this bone-chilling scene with Klein in which he's having a meeting with his thugs, or whatever you want to call them, his gangsters, whatever, and Klein is kind of reminiscing on how happy he is that there have already been overdoses and things like that in this little town that he moved into, and we don't necessarily know yet that it's going to be the same town that Bill is in, but that'll come up a little bit later. His guys come in, and one of the guys comes in with his kid. He has to bring his kid to work because he said his girl got mad at him and left the kid with him and then bailed. So he didn't know what else to do with his kid, so he brought it to work. And the first thing Klein does, I want to say the guy's daughter is maybe three, I'm going to guess. Klein pulls a gun out of his desk, loads it, and gives it to this little girl. And we, as the listener, get to listen as she waves it around with her finger on the trigger. And she looks down the barrel and, you know, she's saying, bang, bang, bang. And she points it at her dad. And as her dad goes to reach for it, Klein takes the gun and he says, no, sweetheart, like this. And he proceeds to point it at the guy and then we cut away. Uh, That is a intense scene, if I'm being honest one of the better-written scenes in a book that I've listened to. It's gripping, it's terrifying to picture, and it's written well and described well enough that you can picture the entire scene. Points to the book for that, but again, this is why I think that Klein and the parts that go along with Klein are part of some of the best parts of the book, unfortunately. So then we jump to finding out that Bill has moved into this inn on the shore in Gloucester. And this was meant to be a bed and breakfast that him and his late wife were going to run together. Now, I, I'm going to draw a blank on his wife's name. It was her dream to run this, and that was going to be uh, their retirement gig, right, was to open this bed and breakfast and run it. Unfortunately, they had to do it a little bit early because of the circumstances that happened with Bill and him getting let go from the Boston PD. And then his wife is killed. Uh, and I don't remember if we are told why right away I know it gets brought up multiple times throughout the story but she was uh hit by a car which she's walking on the side of the road and she was hit by a car and we we open up with them they're doing like a memorial service to her because it's been like two years since her death I believe or something like that and we kind of get this idea you know that Bill is still pretty distraught about the whole thing but rightfully so and now the inn is more of a... The whole thing is kind of a burden on his back, thinking that he has to take care of the whole thing now and do it all by himself. So at this mm-hmm. memorial service, too, we get to meet a lot of the other people who are at the inn. Um, and it's a very mixed bag of people, which I do appreciate, that they kind of covered the entire spectrum of people in this, and then they all have a little part to play in the story. You know, you got a guy in a wheelchair, you have... uh Nick's, I believe it's his niece, and she's kind of like a younger, uh, gothic girl. She, she kind of likes to stay to herself and things like that. Um, there is a, a writer author in the house, this gal. And then you have Nick, like I said, who is, um, ex military. And then you obviously have Bill, who is ex cop. And then the guy in the wheelchair, I like. He's like an ex-gangster, <laughs> and he's a funny character. I do think that he's a a good character later on in the story. There's also a guy who stays at the inn who like never comes out of his room. There's I think a, a retired doctor. There's a sheriff who lives in the house. So it's this it's this mixed bag of people, um, and they're supposedly a very kind of eclectic bunch, right? The sheriff is not maybe what you would picture if you think of a sheriff. He's He's shy, he's very overweight, he, you know, he's he's not necessarily great at his job because he's not necessarily intimidating. People more intimidate him. So it it's an interesting group of people, and I do appreciate that part of the story. Immediately, though, the story becomes a little unbelievable to me, um, and maybe this stuff does happen in these bigger cities. I guess it's very possible that around these, well... Gloucestershire I don't think is a big city but uh, Nick still tries or excuse me Bill still tries to treat it like he's a cop so this car pulls up during the kind of talk that they're having outside when they're kind of celebrating um I can't why can I not think of her name I keep wanting to say Marnie but I believe that's his niece's name I cannot think of his wife's name off the top of my head it'll come to me and I'm sure I'll bring it up later on so this car pulls up and this gal comes out and is saying, or no, I don't think somebody pulls up. They might might call him. Anyways, him and Nick go over to this lady's house because her son is strung out on drugs. And he's like just up in arms. He's trying to kill his his dad or his stepdad with a knife. He's all strung out on these drugs. And this is when they find these little pills. They're like, different colored pills, yellow, green, blue, and then I think there's red ones, and they have little, like, smiley faces on them or things like that. And this is when they start finding out that there's obviously some new drugs going on in their town. So Nick and Bill decide that they are going to kind of take matters into their own hands, right? They're going to go kind of vigilante on this one. And they end up talking to Squid, who Marnie knew from school, I believe, and so he's a young guy. They find out that he is kind of in line with Klein. He's part of Klein's crew and he's selling the drugs for Klein. And it's like so bad that he's like giving out free samples because they're just trying to get the kids hooked on this Fentanyl. They end up going through a couple different people. They go through Squid and then I believe they end up coming across some other dude. Oh, that's right. They're at a bar and this other guy is messing around with um, an older doctor guy and they find out that this dude is strung out on the drugs too they end up like going back to his house like i said they're going completely like rogue and vigilante on this one they go to this dude's like boathouse and it's disgusting they're just a bunch of drug addicts in there they like keep shitting in the toilet even though it doesn't work and so it's just a mound. it's like that show hoarders you know if you've ever seen that pretty nasty and i believe this is where they get end up getting like klein's name and klein's information from is from this dude Throughout the story too, we're, we keep cutting back to Klein, and at one point this lady ends up approaching Klein in like a diner because she said that her daughter is hooked on his drugs. Somehow she knows that he is the one distributing the drugs in their town, and she, gets, she spills his wine on him and some other stuff, and she kind of makes him look like a fool in the middle of this diner. And so he ends up having her straight up murdered and they end up finding her body or her head or something like that later on because Klein is psychotic like he is the definition of a scary bad guy he doesn't mess around he doesn't give people second chances he just does away with you and actually later on in the book he talks about how when he was growing up his family had dogs i believe greyhounds or something like that and if one greyhound wasn't performing well his uncle i think would come out with a wooden mallet and would kill the dog in front of the other dogs to show the other dogs and make an example that if they don't perform as a, is a excuse me as is expected oh my god can't talk good thing i do a talking podcast if the dogs don't perform as they are expected to. That's their fate, right? And he does the same thing with his men that he hires for his drug operations. It's absolutely terrifying. We're also getting snippets, too, of Bill kind of back at the house trying to use the people in the house, right, to the best of their abilities. So, one of the gals there is ex- FBI, I believe. And Nick and her kind of end up having a... Or, excuse me, I'm gonna keep doing that. Bill and her kind of end up having a thing by the end of the book. A thing which he feels kind of guilty about, right? Like his wife hasn't been dead all that long, and his wife was friends with this lady too. Obviously, this is kind of part of his coping with her death and things like that, is that he's trying to kind of move on with the feelings he has with her. And honestly, not that that I'm usually super into like a love story or anything like that, but I was kind of bummed out that this wasn't further explored in the story. This is kind of what I was talking about, that the book suffers a little bit from how short it is. It could actually be stretched out and have been given more time to explore all of these little nuances. Uh, Nick's PTSD and things like that. He has a couple episodes throughout the entire book where he is seeing things that aren't necessarily there. It ends up getting them kind of in a lot of trouble towards the end of the book because he goes into kind of this flashback state. And he ends up shooting a dead body with his gun, which obviously is now going to indict him in the crime that was committed. So it puts them in a really precarious situation. And I thought that that was a great layer to the story. Like, I wanted more of that stuff. You know, Nick being kind of this unfortunate wild card, where, yes, he's Bill's best friend, but he's also a liability when Bill takes him anywhere if he has those kinds of episodes. But it just didn't happen enough. And when it did, Bill kind of got this cheesy way of getting him out of it. You know, he would just pretend like he was in the situation too with him and it would almost always snap Nick out of it right away, which I I thought was kind of a cheesy cop out. There's also this gal who lives in the house, um, Effie, who we don't really learn a whole lot about. I don't even know if we actually learn her full story by the end. If we do, I can't remember. But she has like this horrible scar across her neck where somebody like slit her throat and it didn't kill her, but it ruined her ability to speak. So obviously she speaks in sign and she can communicate with Bill in sign, just not very well because Bill never takes the time to learn true sign language. So he just kind of does random, you know, hand gestures to talk to her. And I thought that was great, too. Like, there's a lot of layers to these people in this house. I just almost felt bummed out that we didn't get to spend more time with each of them to learn their story and get to know them as a character. I mean, I understand the story is centered around Bill. You know, he's the main character, but he wasn't that interesting. And I think they tried to make him more interesting by keeping this thing from the beginning of the book hanging out over his head, right? Like, oh man, this thing he did back in Boston that got him let go from the police force and it was so horrible. And so you as the listener are thinking, what could this horrible thing be that he did that we keep hearing about, but we're not getting any information about? Well, as the story progresses, Klein and Bill end up kind of having a bit of a run-in. So something I missed out on a little bit earlier is that we also get that Klein goes to the local pharmacist and recruits him, basically. Doesn't even necessarily recruit him. Blackmails him into working for him, right? That's how they're getting the uh, the items they need to make the drugs, is from the local pharmacists. And we're going to find out a little bit later that Bill has a rat among his people, unfortunately. And I can't remember now. I don't think it's the same guy. I think we just get the snippet from earlier, and it's it's all... The rat ends up coming up Late, I say a rat and there's a rat in the store. An actual legitimate rat, not like a rat among the people. <laughs> there's a legit rat that they save and it becomes a pet. Anyways, um, Bill and Klein end up having a bit of a run-in when Bill and Nick go to Klein's house to confront him and basically tell him, you know, you need to leave, pack up your shit. We're not going to put up with your drugs in our small town. You're not going to turn this small town into another Boston or another big city that has drug problems. As they're getting ready to leave, uh, the sheriff from the house, Sheriff Klein, pulls up and he has... Um, I, oh my gosh, I'm drawing a blank on the girl's name now. I Probably if I was professional, I'd write this stuff down beforehand. Uh, Marnie. He comes up with Marnie. Um, again, I think it's Bill's niece or something like that. And uh, So Klein sees Marnie. And then Klein finds out from squid who she is so one of the next things that kind of goes down the big big beats obviously I'm skipping around a lot is that Klein throws a huge party at his house right gets a whole bunch of people together and he makes sure that squid invites Marnie to this party the next day Marnie turns up dead overdosed out in the woods behind Klein's house now they can't do anything about Klein because of this because they don't necessarily know Right, they can't like indict him in this. But at the same time, on the same night, the this black Escalade rolls up past the inn and does a drive-by shooting on the place. Right, just shoots the place all to shit. Bill and is obviously trying to tell local law enforcement that it was Klein's fault. But local law enforcement's hands are tied because uh, Klein has an alibi, as well as they can't do anything about Marnie's overdose. Even though they're the same drugs that they know Klein is distributing, they can't tie any of it directly to him. Because they say, well, anybody could have given her those drugs, so we can't arrest Klein for it. So basically Bill decides he's taking this whole thing into his own hands. They're going to get rid of Klein completely vigilante, which I appreciate, honestly. I think there's a lot of red tape, there's a lot of bullshit, there's a lot of bureaucracy in some of our systems. And so I appreciate that this dude is going to take it into his own hands. Uh, One thing I don't appreciate, though, is they kind of come up with these plans on the fly. Yes, they have some experienced people in their house that know some stuff, you know, a lot of of stuff about a lot of things. I don't necessarily know that anybody is an expert, except maybe the ex-gangster guy. He was an expert at being a gangster, (laughs) and he ends up being a super badass. They come up with a couple plans, like, on the fly, and I don't necessarily like how easily the plans go over without a hitch. I don't always like when stories do that where the good guys, you know, their plans never get fouled up. Meanwhile, Klein, you know, Klein has the resources, right? Like he constantly is telling Bill that he can get rid of his past, you know, he can make the problems go away that happened to him in Boston, and he's going to also give him money if he if that's what he needs just to get Bill to leave him alone. Klein has the resources to do this stuff. The people in the inn and eh, it was a little less believable. Basically, Bill ends up telling Klein he's not, he's not going to take any of his dirty money. He's not going to do anything for him. And he's going to get rid of him. So Klein decides, obviously, that he's got to do something about it first. I'm probably going to get this a little bit mixed up. They f- find out that Klein is making the drugs in a fishing vessel offshore. That's how he's kind of getting away with it and not getting caught making the drugs. Which is very smart. In a coastal town, it is actually a great idea that he has there kind of a Breaking Bad type shit, it's... Uh, who goes? It's like Effie, Bill, and Nick go, and their their plan is to get rid of all the drugs, right? They think if they get rid of all the drugs, Klein will have no choice but to leave because he won't have any product to move. He'll He'll end up getting in trouble from his higher-ups. So this plan kind of goes over without a hitch until they get back to Shore, so they find the boat, they dump all the drugs, like shitload of drugs. And everybody on the boat is saying the same thing that he's been hearing the whole story. You don't know who you're messing with. You, you don't want to do this. That you You really don't. And Bill does anyways, because obviously he's pissed too that he knows Klein killed his niece. So he dumps the drugs. When he gets back, he finds out that a couple of the gardeners that were working for Klein are actually undercover FBI agents, and they had a tracking device in the drugs. That's how they were going to nail Klein. They knew Klein was dirty but they needed hard evidence to get it to stick and bill screws it all up and so it just keeps adding to bill's kind of track record of this thing that we still don't know what happened right they keep bringing it up though like that he's just trying to he's out to get the boston pd now he's out to get any boston based stuff because he's bitter about the whole situation we still don't know what it is, they just keep playing this pronoun game where they want us to be like, what is the thing, who are they talking about, what is the situation? Honestly it gets a little old pretty quick, I, I didn't really appreciate that part of the book. They end up having like this kind of final showdown with Klein, Bill's old partner ends up showing back up. Um, God, see I can't think of anybody's name now, I think I feel like his name starts with an M also, it'll, it'll come back to me. Anyway, the other cop that he got... Disgraced with, comes back at some point to kind of—I don't even remember why. I don't remember why he shows up. It's a little bit weird, ex machina type stuff. Um, and that's kind of when two bills, like love interest, peaks with this one gal. Before he decides that you know they're gonna do this, they're gonna take Klein down. It doesn't matter what it's gonna take. They're gonna get rid of this guy. And they end up finding out that Klein, when he says things like. You can't do this. You know, they won't stand for this. They need me. Uh, Klein's actually talking about his family. So he has a wife and two kids uh, or they're divorced or something like that. But he does have two kids. So I like that twist, too, because very few times have we seen Klein, his cold, calculating demeanor slip. But the few times it does slip when he kind of loses it and he freaks out. This is why right because he's not just cold and calculating for a boss he's cold and calculating because he's trying to take care of his family just like anybody else and i did like that twist i like that he's a he's technically just a family man trying to get by just like most of us so it makes him much more of a believable person you know he's not just this gangster mafioso who can do whatever he wants and always gets away with it So they're going to use that to their advantage as well. But before they can put kind of all of this stuff into full-blown motion, when they're on the boat getting rid of the drugs, a couple of Klein's guys hit the house, right? And this is where the the gangster guy in the wheelchair, he's just chilling on the front porch. And they kind of knew, you know, that something might happen, that Klein would pull something desperate like this. And this gangster ends up, he has a huge gun in his lap, under his blanket and he blows one of these dudes freaking kneecaps off and then he ends up (laughs) the other guy ends up in the house and they you know all the kind of housemates come together including the one guy who never leaves his room ends up being the one who actually I believe finishes the guy off because he opens his door at the top of the stairs and knocks the dude down the stairs which ends up putting him out of commission so kind of a good little you know lets everybody participate in the story it's kind of a bummer that Marnie, this young girl in the story, is killed, and it's actually, like, it gets brought up again a couple times, but it's brushed aside pretty swiftly for something that should be very, very heavy material. I honestly thought it was not given the proper respect for this young character being killed being murdered not just like dying but being murdered it's it's kind of insane after all of Klein's guys fail still to get rid of this group of rejects as they kind of refer to them as uh oh that's right they tried to kill uh sheriff spears too to get him out of the picture and even though you know he's like this fat overweight guy they're gonna take him out and they're gonna kill him and they're gonna they have like this spot where they take all these bodies you know and they bury him right um they try to kill him, and he ends up disarming and taking out two of Klein's guys by himself. So after Klein's guys all fail, Klein decides he's going to do it all himself, gets rid of all his guys, and this is kind of what I was talking about earlier. Klein ends up killing one of his own guys and leaving him on the property at the inn and at the fire pit, and this is where Nick lapses into one of his kind of PTSD and spoiler alert schizophrenia moments and he pulls his gun and he shoots this already dead body. Well, that obviously looks really bad because now if they even if they get rid of the body, they try to find some way to hide it or if they turn them, you know, if they say, "Hey, look, we found this body on our property." It's going to be really hard to explain why one of their people shot this guy, right? So it it was a good character building point for Nick, I think, but it was a really it's almost like they tried to spin it like Klein planned it. I, I, I don't know, it was just a little bit of a, a misstep, I felt like. Again, I liked it for Nick's character, and I thought it built a lot of tension for him. I just don't know if it was, you know, put together in the best way, in my opinion. And, of course, now I'm in the hotel, and the uh, housekeeping is vacuuming the adjacent room to me. So if you can hear that, I apologize. I'll do my best to cut it out in post. Uh, Malone, there we go. That's <laughs> that's Bill's old partner's name. Uh, so it ends up, the final showdown, kind of here, in the conclusion of the story, is that uh, Bill and Malone end up chasing down Klein. So Squid betrays them. You swore on the cross, that's all! Too bad for you. It was a double cross. (laughs) Oh, we should have seen that coming. And this is where we find out that one of the doctor that was living in their house also was on Klein's payroll, right? Their plan is to get Squid to betray Klein. So the doctor and Malone and Bill are going to go confront Klein and they're going to have him dead to rights, they think, right? Well, Squid ends up betraying them and stabs the doctor because he's still on Klein's side. Nick ends up killing Squid. This He's like only 16 years old. Nick ends up killing him. So again, and this is where Nick's lines were blurred, right? Between reality and the things his mind was overlaying and he ends up killing Squid. When he snaps out of it, he obviously feels terrible about the whole thing. But we just move right on past that. Like it's it's kind of crazy how quickly they move on from that. And this is where I kind of am like, is do they can they really just get away with all, like, this vigilante shit without <laughs> nobody, like, nobody stops them? Before the end of the story, too, Bill kind of confronts uh, the lady who ran down his wife, like, who ran her over in the car, and we find out there was more to that story, too. Something about the girl who claimed she ran her over wasn't the one who actually ran her over, it was, like, her little sister... But this girl took the fall because obviously her little sister was like underage and drunk at the time. They didn't want her to get in as much trouble. That's it. Like we were building up to it this whole time. That was part of something we were building up to this whole time. And it wasn't really, I didn't think the payoff was great for it, in my opinion. Then the other thing we finally get the payoff for before Klein is taken out of the picture is that, um, is what happened in Boston. So. Malone had approached Bill and said something about like his sister or this girl he knew was in a spot of trouble because she made a sex tape with this guy and this guy was threatening to put the sex tape out on the internet, right? So they, as cops, were gonna bust in his place, you know, get the tape, get rid of it, help this girl out, you know, do her a favor. So, Bill goes along with it, thinking, okay, that's a great idea, right? Like, I don't like how this guy's treating this girl, you know, let's let's take care of this. They go in there, and when Bill gets into the place, the dude is, like, there. And they end up, like, beating the shit out of the guy. Because Malone said, oh, he, he also beats this girl. Like, he's gonna put this sex tape out, and he beats her. So, it pissed Bill off. So, Bill beats the shit out of this guy. And Malone has like all these bags of stuff when they leave the guy's apartment because he says, I don't know where he keeps it so I took everything, you know, phones, laptops, tablets, whatever I could get my hands on just so I can get rid of the evidence and then I'll give him all the other shit back. Well come to find out, all of this was caught on video. Malone doesn't have like a sister or anything, that guy wasn't dating her. Malone literally just wanted to break into this guy's place because he knew he had a lot of money and steal his shit. He stole, like, cash, he stole all his electronics and all this stuff. And so Bill helped him do it, right? Which indicted both of them, made them both look really bad. The Boston PD covered it up because they didn't want to show them being, like, dirty cops. So the quickest way to do that was to fire them both. I wasn't super impressed with that. Um, I just, I don't know, I wasn't uh we come to find out here at the end of the story why it all went down so malone tells bill before the whole final showdown that he has cancer right terminal cancer and he knew about this terminal cancer when he did that whole thing he was trying to steal the stuff to get money for treatments okay it's kind of a chug on your heartstrings type thing right like he was trying to do the right thing by himself and by his family but in doing so he did the polar opposite he did like the completely wrong thing Um, I just didn't feel like it was, it almost didn't feel dirty enough, right? Like, (laughs) I wish they had done something worse for having built up, built it up over six hours. Uh, the redeeming, the final redeeming moment. So they end up having this showdown with Klein. They end up going up in like this, I think it's a building that's being built. And they're having a shootout with him. Just straight up shootout in the middle of the goddamn streets is where it starts. They end up in this building, um... They end up shooting at Klein, who is, again, he's just a freaking psycho. He is against this high rise window, and they shoot at Klein, and the bullets are going out the window, and they don't end up killing Klein. And Klein is telling Bill, right, like, you're not going to do anything. You're too scared. You have too much stuff to lose still. And Malone steps up, and he's like, he might, but I don't have anything to lose. And he, like, charges Klein. And he ends up tackling Klein out the window of this high rise. And they both go down here, down to the pavement. Both of them die. So that was like Malone's like redeeming feature of the story. The only problem is Malone had like 20 lines of dialogue in the whole thing. We don't, we didn't fully know him as a character. I mean, yeah, he's got some character building, but like this would make a good TV show. If I'm honest, like this, you could do like 10 episodes of a TV show with this, book. I mean, it was pretty short, but you could easily stretch this out and give these characters some room to breathe and get to know each of these characters individually, which is, I think, what this book was missing for me. We rushed so much to get to this kind of climax, which the climax with Klein is good. Klein, in my opinion, is the best part of the whole book. And I think it's a good fitting kind of end for him. And then we go back to the inn and, you know, everybody kind of celebrates and then the one gal who was a writer and she claimed she was a New York Times best-selling writer, it turns out she was never even actually published before, like, the end of, the, of this book. So because she was just lying the whole time, just making them think she was a, a writer. And the end of the whole book is kind of her getting published and them celebrating and then Bill follows up with his love interest with this gal and he finally goes up to the upstairs of the inn. And they're gonna paint, and they're gonna redo the whole inn, and he's gonna do everything like his wife, his late wife, would have wanted done to the place. All the things that he was putting off through his whole, you know, the last couple of years because he was too distraught to move forward, uh, he's gonna finally start doing those things. So and that's, that's the inn. I just, I don't know what it was about this book. I listened to it twice before doing this just to refresh myself on it. I thought there was a lot of good concepts here. But for some reason, I just could not get behind this one, which is strange because there's been not a lot of James Patterson work that I couldn't really get behind. And this unfortunately is one of them. I just cannot get behind this book. I don't think you're missing out on a lot if you miss this one, which I think I'm in the vast minority on this because this book has really good ratings and reviews on Audible. So, you know, take my review with a grain of salt if you will. Uh, it's just my opinion. I'm just sharing it with you just in case, you know. I don't want you to waste your money. You know, money is extremely hard to come by these days for some of us, and I don't want you to go spending it and then being like, why did I spend it on this? So, again, take that how you will. That's. I'll leave it at that. So, if you have anything to share about the inn, if you have anything to share about anything, please feel free to email me kotpl.pod@gmail.com at gmail.com is the easiest way to reach out. And I appreciate you guys for listening. I really do. I know I haven't been very active lately. Just stuff, right? I'll leave it at that. So again, thank you guys for listening. I really appreciate it, and I hope to catch you in the next one.